one of the great things about this 40th celebration is we're getting to hear a lot of voices of stories that people are telling of what God has done in the history of our fellowship. And uh, I just think that's a powerful thing that we should be doing, right? We should be telling the stories of what God has done. We're to remember, you read the book of Deuteronomy, a number of times God says, remember where you came from. Remember that I delivered you. Remember that you used to be slaves, but now you're set free. Remember that. And, and so part of the 40-year celebration is we hear other voices of people sharing. And let me just say, Shanette, I don't know if Aisha's in here or not, but man, our fellowship is a better place because y'all are here. You know it? Isn't it? And Miss Robin, I don't know if she's watching online right now, but bless you. We love you. We miss you. Can't wait to see you again. And um, wow, I just love hearing what God has done because what it does, you know what a testimony is? It's just saying what God has done and so that it can be done again. Uh, in fact, the, the Hebrew word for testimony means repeat and do it again. And so when we just tell the testimonies of God, we're just saying, here's what he has done. Guess what? We got 40 more years in front of us. It's going to be even better than the last 40. So that's great. We had a great weekend. I hope that you were able to be with us on Friday when Dr. Tony Evans was here. Uh, he spoke at a leadership lunch uh, here in Louisville. We had a leaders from, uh, at least signed up from 70 different churches who came together, and he spoke to us on racial unity in our city, and Friday night he spoke here. Um, and uh, Dr. Evans has a movie out uh, called Show Me the Father. I looked it up. It, it is playing right down the road here at Tinseltown. Uh, so you could go watch it this afternoon. And it's a movie about fatherhood. And it's about the role and the relationship and the responsibility of fathers to reflect God the Father to their family. How many of you think we need that in our culture right now? Raise your hand if you think that godly fatherhood would be a good thing for our culture right now. Yes, it is. And, and I told him on Friday that I would tell you about this Friday night. But I got, has this ever happened to you? I got so excited Friday night, I totally forgot. So we're driving back to the hotel. You know, it was a long drive back to the hotel, and I'm talking to him and everything. And I went, oh, Dr. Evans, I forgot to tell him about your movie. And, and he said, and we both actually said it at the same time, well, tell him Sunday. And we said it at the same time. And he kind of just, you know, we looked at each other, and he kind of had, the, he just smiled. But I was like, I think like Dr. Evans. <laughs> Great minds. Right, Dr. Evans? So I'm just telling you this right now. He was here to share this message out of his book, Oneness Embraced, which is simply this, that because of the gospel, and remember now, the gospel is the good news that Jesus is Lord. All right? So because of the gospel, because of what Jesus did on the cross, he substituted himself for us. Remember, the essence of sin is that we substituted ourselves for God. The essence of salvation is God, in the person of his son Jesus, substituted himself for us. He took our place. He took our punishment on the cross. He died our death, but he didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven. He sent his Holy Spirit, and that's part of the gospel. That's part of the good news story of Jesus' lordship is the sending of the Spirit. And now, as a result, we are justified. We're declared righteous. We are accepted. I'm accepted by God already. Not because of what I did, because of what Jesus did. And I'm not only accepted, I'm adopted. Now I get to call Father. I get to call God Abba. I get to call him Father. So now as a result of all of that, there's no longer Jew or Gentile. We are one in Christ. 
And part of what was happening in the book of Galatians is that they were dividing the body of Christ between Jew and Gentile. Jesus had made them one new man, but they're trying to rip it apart and, and, and divide them again. And Paul got upset and he wrote them saying, you're not living in line with the gospel. Racial divisions have no place in the body of Christ because we are one in him. Not because we made ourselves one. He made us one. He, Paul says it this way in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3. He says, make every effort to keep the unity. Notice, he didn't say, go out and try to be unified with other people. He, he said, I've made you one because of what Jesus did on the cross. So you maintain the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. And look what he says. There's one body, one spirit. Just as you were called to one hope when you were called, there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. So did you hear that? What did he say? We got the same Abba. We got the same Father. And what does that say about us? If Shanette and I had the same Father, what does that mean about us? And she's my sister. You say, well, she don't look like you. I know, isn't it beautiful? If we got the same Abba, then we're brothers and sisters. We have the same Jesus. We got the same Savior. We got the same body of Christ, the same baptism. We're filled with the same Holy Ghost. And we got the same word of God to live on. So Paul is saying to the Galatians, here's the deal. You are one in Jesus. Now live like it. So picking up today where Seth left off last week. And by the way, Seth, outstanding job last week. Outstanding job. So I'm going to just pick up where he kind of left off the end of Galatians chapter 5, verse 25. As we continue to walk through this, we're going to start with verse 25. Since we live by the Spirit, and if you need more unpacking of that, you just go back online and, and watch uh, the message from last week. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Now the ESV says, walk with the Spirit. The NRSV says, be guided by the Spirit. So the NIV there is actually doing something because the, the Greek word, it, it is walking, but it's also being connected to or guided by. In fact, if you look at how that word was used, it meant to walk in a line. Like, like you know, you have like when you're in elementary school or the teacher says, everybody line up and walk in a single file line. That, that was kind of how that word was used. That it, what it means, since we're living by the Spirit, we should walk in step with the Spirit, it is get in alignment. Be in line with the Spirit. Now, a little side note here. To be able to do that, to keep in step with the Spirit, to walk with the Spirit, in line with the Spirit, you're going to have to believe there is a Holy Spirit. And that He's a person. And He does stuff. Okay, now you're, I know some of you are like, everybody knows that. If you remember those old Geico commercials, uh, oh, look at that, there's two people sitting there. Oh, look, you can save 15% on car insurance. And the other person goes, everybody knows that. And then they say, well, did you know, you know, Pinocchio was a bad motivational speaker? And then they got Pinocchio, and you have potential, and you have, and his nose is growing, and you have potential. Does anybody remember that commercial? Everybody knows that. Everybody does not know this. In fact, sadly, just two weeks ago, the Christian Post uh, carried an article 
done by research by Arizona Christian University, which was called the American Worldview Inventory. And they discovered, get this now, 62% of self-identified born-again Christians. Okay, so this isn't like somebody labeled them born-again Christian. They said, this is what I identify as a born-again Christian. 62% of American born-again Christians said in the survey, the Holy Spirit isn't a real person, he's just a symbol. Now, there are so many things wrong with that, I don't even know where to begin. I mean, first and foremost is that goes against the Bible. So then you're wrong. But here's what's more important for this message right now. If you think the Holy Spirit's just a symbol, then your faith, your Christianity is only about history. It's only what happened 2,000 years ago instead of a relating to a living, ruling, reigning, interacting with his people God today. See, keeping in step with the Spirit doesn't make sense unless there's an actual Spirit that is alive and present. And this text says there is a Holy Spirit. He is real, and we should live by the Spirit. We should walk in line with the Spirit, implying the Spirit's going somewhere. Right? It doesn't make sense to say I'm going to walk in line with something that ain't moving. So it's a plan that the Spirit is, is taking us somewhere. So walk, keep in step. Walk in line with the Spirit. And some of you are thinking, okay, great. But what does that look like? Because, you know, that sounds like, doesn't that sound like one of those kind of religious things that people say at church? Everybody goes, amen! And then after we all leave, we go, what does that even mean? Paul says, glad you asked. And for the next six verses, he gives us a picture. Actually, it's not a picture. It's three snapshots of what walking in line with the Spirit looks like in our relationships. In fact, the title of this message is Spirit-Led Relationships because Paul is going to give us some snapshots, okay, different scenarios of what it looks like to walk in line and to keep in step with the Spirit. Now, I'm going to give you a warning right now. This is going to be very sobering. I'm just going to tell you right up front, because I don't know what you think of when you think of walking in line with the Spirit. You think of, oh, it's going to be fun, and we're going to be loud, and we're going to speak in tongues, and, and, and he's going to lay hands on people, and they're going to fall down on the ground, and we'll put a little blankie on them. And, 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 and that may be your picture. But Paul in this text is going to get real practical. He's going to go down to some real-life scenarios in order to say walking by the Spirit, being in line with the Spirit is going to affect your everyday relationships. Walking with the Spirit is going to require something of you this afternoon. It's going to require something of you tomorrow, Tuesday morning. See, walking in line with the Spirit is going to affect how you relate to everyone all the time. Ooh. So here, here's his three snapshots. I'll give them to you, and then we'll unpack them. The snapshot, the first snapshot is a conceited person. The second snapshot is a caught-in-sin person. And the third snapshot is a comparing person. Now, I know that these are not the typical shouting verses, right? Like, you know, you got their shouting verses. You know what shouting verses are. I don't even have to preach. I just get up and read the verse, and y'all are shouting me down. Amen! <laughs> right? These are not those, right? I think it was Mark Twain who once said, it's not the parts of the Bible I don't understand that bother me, it's the parts I do 
And the text that we're going to be reading today, we're going to understand it, and it's going to speak to us as what it means to walk in the Spirit. So to do this, I'm going to need to be in teacher mode today. Okay, some days, some days I'm in preacher mode and you know exhorting, encouraging mode. But today we're going to have to be in teacher mode, and let's just unpack these verses of what it looks like to walk in line with the Spirit. So snapshot, you ready? Yeah. Are you are you excited about this? I'm excited about this too. I'm a little nervous though. Okay, so snapshot number one is the conceited person. Now remember, this is what it means to walk in line with the Spirit in relationships. Verse 26, Galatians 5. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Now what what is he getting at there? The word conceit in Greek is made up of two words. And and if you were to look up in the definition, it is vainglorious. Now, when, when I read that, I'm like, that, that doesn't help me at all, actually. <laughs> it's a conceit, vainglorious. I, I, it's not like, I, you know, somebody cuts me off in track, but you vainglorious. You know, it's just like, I never use that in a sentence. So here's another way to say it. Empty of honor. Okay, now wait, I, I get that. Empty of honor. A conceited person, listen to me, a conceited person has a deep insecurity and a perceived absence of glory or an absence of honor leading them to try to prove their worth to themselves and everybody else. Think of it this way. Conceit is an honor hunger. I'm hungry. I I want people to honor me. I need people to honor me because that's where I get my value. That's where I get my worth. That's where I get my identity. And so he says, don't be honor hungry Provoking and envying. Now, provoke, it, it means to challenge, or it's, it's, it's to be competitive. It's to challenge someone to a contest. And envy is to want something that rightfully belongs to somebody else. So the provoking here is a stance of someone who thinks they're superior. Okay? I'm going to com- challenge you to a competition. I'm going to prove my worth because I'm superior. The, the envying is a stance of someone who thinks they're inferior. So don't miss, this is profound, if you will let this in, and it's striking. Paul is saying both superiority and inferiority are a form of conceit or honor hunger. Both the superior person and the inferior person are self-absorbed. See, some of you think that if you just think badly about yourself, if you put yourself down and you say, man, I'm so bad, uh, I'm terrible, and, I, and I'm worse than everybody else, you think that makes you humble. That's not humble. That's self-absorbed. And as C.S. Lewis reminded us, humility isn't thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Do you see the difference? See, to be a Christian and to let the gospel in means you have a new center to your solar system. It's not about you. Once you become a Christian and say, Jesus is Lord, you realize I'm not Lord. Jesus is Lord. The universe does not rotate around me. You're not the center of the universe. It's about God's glory through the expansion of his kingdom. And here, So here's what verse 26 is saying. Here is the snapshot Here's what it looks like to walk in line with the Spirit, keeping in step with the Spirit. Do not let your hunger for honor make you despise or envy people. If you're walking in step with the Spirit, 
you don't get your value, you don't get your honor, you don't get your, your worth from anybody else. You get it from the gospel. And what does the gospel say? It says that because of what Jesus did, I'm already justified. I don't need you to justify me. I'm already justified. I'm already chosen. Whether you choose me or not, it don't matter because God already chose me. I am already, the gospel says, accepted by God. I'm already loved by, I am loved and honored by the only eyes in the universe that matter. So guess what? I don't need to feel superior to you. I don't need to feel inferior to you because I don't get stuff from you. My worth, my value, my dignity, my acceptance comes from God. So here's what it looks like to walk in the Spirit. Here's what it looks like to walk in the Spirit. When you're around somebody and you start feeling superior to them, here's what it looks like. You know what you do? You start preaching the gospel to yourself. And go, wait a second. Oh, pull up those horses. <laughs> you didn't save yourself. This is what you say to yourself. You didn't save yourself. Who do you think you are? You didn't die on the cross. For anybody else, you, you can't even save yourself. How are you going to save anybody else? Better than anybody. You ain't better than nobody. You just preach the gospel. Jesus saved you apart from what you did. And then, at the same time, if you're feeling inferior around somebody else, you know what you do? You preach the gospel to yourself. You go, guess what? Father already accepted me. Father already justified me. He adopted me. I call him Abba. You know what that means? I have unsurpassable worth. Oh, that's good. Man, I'm, I, and listen, with all due respect, I'm preaching better than your amen. All right? I just, with respect. So that's the first snapshot. That's what it looks like, okay? Second snapshot. And remember, when, you go, when you're reading the New Testament, well, the whole Bible, but particularly when we're reading a letter to the Galatians, the chapter and verse divisions were put in much later. Paul, wasn't, Paul didn't get to that verse in verse 26 and go, okay, now chapter 6. Verse 1, those are put in, he just wrote a letter. I mean, most of the time when you send emails to people, you don't put, although I have received some emails from some of y'all, they're so long. I was like, I wish you would have broke that up into chapters and verses. I could read a chapter today, come back next Thursday and read a chapter. But, <clears throat> but that's what, most of the time you don't do that. So we keep reading, right? So chapter 6, verse 1 is the second snapshot, and that is a caught in sin person. Now, remember, this is how we're going to walk in the Spirit, right? And we're walk some, some people are going to leave today and go, man, we did a lot of walking today. <laughs> I, I remember, you know, chaperoning a, a Washington, D.C. Um, trip, and I remember we were at one of the museums for the middle school, you know, back when we had ECA, and the one lady who was given the thing, she, she, she directed people with two fingers. Have you ever seen people do this? And they're like, we're walking, we're walking, keep, you know, that's how I kind of feel we're doing today, but that's what we're doing, okay? So we're walking, we're walking. In the spirit, here's how you deal with a caught in sin person. Galatians 6 verse 1. Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. Now, what he's saying here, yes, that's right, help us, Lord, get this. When someone is caught, the word gets used in two different ways. If you just read the literature, it gets used and it, it meant to be overtaken, but it also meant to be detected. And so depending on what your English translation is, they may pick one of those two directions. I think most often it means overtaken. So, 
So the picture here is somebody's caught in a sin. The, 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 the picture was um, like there's a trap and an anime, animal will come into the trap and it springs the trap and then they're caught. That's the picture. If someone goes and, and they're trapped in a sin, they're caught, okay? And, and, and this implies that it's not just, hey, they said a bad word one time, they made a mistake. And that's not what this is talking about, all right? It talks, it's repeated, all right? They're entrapped by it. The, the trap has been sprung. Now, let me just stop here. The Bible is so real, isn't it? Paul knew we were going to need this. Led by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit knew that when we got born again, we weren't going to be instantly perfected. So we need stuff like this. Here's how you walk in the Spirit when somebody gets caught in a sin. So he says, you who are spiritual... Now, that doesn't mean there's a special class of people. It, 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 it could be translated, those of you who have received the Spirit. And it just means those who are walking in line with the Spirit, which should be who? All of us. Every believer. Now, notice what he does not say. This is important. Paul does not say, if someone is caught in the sin, you should expose him publicly. Now, I know this goes against the spirit of the age. Because in our age today, everybody is getting off on exposing other people. Just if you, I don't, I'm not even really on social media anymore. <laughs> Some of y'all drove me away from that. But, it, but, it, <clears throat> but I do watch, I do, look, I do look up things on YouTube sometimes. And all, YouTube appears to be all about somebody exposing somebody else for something. I mean, they mispronounced Mesopotamia or something like that in a sermon. Or, or you know, it could be big, it could be small. It's just like this person exposed. And, and it's almost like in our culture we get joy out of exposing people. Paul, didn't, he said, if, if someone is caught in a sin, he didn't say, tell everybody, a, put a YouTube video up on it. Tell her, tell her from the pulpit. He messed up. Is that what he says? He also does not say, dispose him quickly. You know, we live in a culture where everything is disposable, it seems like, these days. And sometimes that, that's good, but not when it's meaningful things, like relationships. We live in a culture that it wants to have disposable relationships. Somebody messed up, they out of here. Kick them. Boom. See ya. I'm going to get somebody new. You know, Paul, in the whole New Testament, actually in the whole Bible, people are way more valuable than that. Every single person you meet, listen, every single person you meet, there's four things that are true about them, okay, biblically. Number one, they're made in the image of God. They have a certain inherent worth and value and dignity. Why? They are made in the image of Almighty God. You should be, the Bible says you should be careful how you treat God's image. I mean, it, chapter 1 says he made us in his image. Chapter 9 of, of Genesis says, if you shed the blood of somebody, by man's blood, your blood will be shed because we were made in God's image. In other words, people are valuable. And I might add, whether they're in the womb or out of the womb, their whole life, as we heard this weekend, from womb to tomb, human beings are valuable. Every single person you meet, and that, as the book of James says, this is why you don't curse people. Because they're made in the image of God. You're going to curse God's image? No. 
So every person you meet, every single person sitting next to you in this row, when you go to Starbucks later on this afternoon, the barista is made in the image of God. It ought to affect how you treat them. But the second thing about everything you meet, every single person you meet has sinned. Every single one of them. Yeah, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All, all of us like sheep have gone astray. We've turned our own way and the Lord has laid on, uh, on him the iniquity of us all. There is no one righteous, no, not one. I could do this all day. But every single person you meet has original glory. They were made in the image of God, but there's sin there. That's marred them. And you know what else is true about every single person you meet? Jesus died for them. 2 Corinthians 5 says, we believe one died for all, therefore all died. First John, what is it? First John 2, 2, he's the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not just for ours, but the sins of the whole world. So every person you meet, they're made in the image of God, but they've sinned. But guess what? Jesus died for them. I love the way John Wesley puts it. He, John Wesley said that when he would see a beggar come to him, he didn't see somebody covered with dirt. He saw somebody purpled over in the blood of Christ. Hmm. You think that might affect how you treat people? If every person you saw, you say, that is the image of God, and they're purpled over in the blood of Christ. And let me tell you, the fourth thing that is true about every single person you're ever going to meet, every person in this room, and every person you meet anywhere, they're not only made in the image of God, they've not only sinned, Jesus not only died for them, but let me tell you something, they're going to live forever somewhere. Either with God or without. It's true about every single person. So what's my point? If someone is caught in a sin, you don't just dispose of them. The other thing Paul says, he does not say, he doesn't say if, you, if someone's caught in a sin, you should ignore him quietly. Now, this is the easiest thing to do, isn't it? I mean, the easiest thing, you, you see somebody, it just kind of, you know, pretend you didn't see it. Or just, you know, look away, just, you know, just change the subject. Um. But Paul is calling us to a deeper love than that. What it means to walk in the Spirit means if someone is caught in a sin, you love them enough to, to talk to them about it. Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. In other words, if you're walking in step with the Spirit, if you're in line with the Spirit, if you're guided by the Spirit, your default setting will be restoration. Because that's the Holy Spirit's default setting. Now, here's what's interesting to me about this. He doesn't tell us how to restore them on, this, on any particular occasion. He doesn't say, you know, if somebody gets caught in sin, well, how are we supposed to do that? Well, maybe ministry of the word. If we go to them and say, hey, brother, here's where her sister, here's what the scripture says. That's not who you are. Here's, this is what the word of God says you are. And this is why that, man, what you're doing is, is destroying you. It's killing you. You know, it, maybe it's ministry of the word. Maybe it's ministry of prayer. Can I pray for you? Maybe it's a ministry of accountability. Can we meet and talk and, and, and hold you accountable? Maybe if it's some kind of addiction that they're in, under, maybe they're addicted to pornography or they're addicted to some substance. Do they need maybe a group, an ongoing, like a Christian, you know, 12-step group or something that, that holds them accountable and walks them through steps of repentance? And for, Maybe yes to all of those things. But here's the point. To be led by the Spirit means you restore. And that word restore maybe gives us the clue. Because that word restore in Greek, do you know how they used it most of the time? It was most of the time used of setting a dislocated bone. 
Now, this tells us a little bit about how sin is. Sin, according to this verse, is less like a bullet from outside of me coming into me to penetrate me to kill me. And it's more like something already inside me that's dislocated. You ever had a dislocated bone or a broken bone? They don't feel good, right? And so sin is this bone inside, this thing that's inside of you, it gets dislocated. It might be a good thing, but it's a good thing that's out of alignment. So, for example, having a career is a good thing. It's a good thing to have a career. I hope you have a career. hope you feel satisfied in your career. I hope your career provides financially for you, and those are all good things. But here's the deal. You can get that dislocation. You can make your career not a good thing, but the ultimate thing. You can make the career, your career the thing that makes you feel good about yourself, that you've got to have. And when that happens, you'll sacrifice your marriage for your career. You'll sacrifice your children. You'll sacrifice your health. What happened? It's dislocated. It's out of joint. It could be a good thing. It could be, I mean, you know, power, money, sex, approval, all those, nothing wrong with those things in place. In joint. Because, man, you get it out of joint, it will mess you up. I remember a number of years ago, I think it was back in the 90s, there was a group of us that were kind of messing around and, and, and we were arm wrestling. And, and, um, and then I had left and they kept on arm wrestling. So, see, I left and things went downhill. Um, <clears throat> and one of them broke the other dude's arm. I don't know if it was just a torque or, of course, he was like, I, I didn't know how strong I was. But it just it was a fluke thing. And they went to, I think it was bad disease to set the bone. And it was in so much pain that he wouldn't let go of it. And they were, and they were like, hey, uh, uh, Jonathan, we need, you need to let go so we can set the arm. He was like. <laughs> no, no, you got, you got to let go. And it took a while just for him to let go for the doctor to set this bone because it hurt. That is why he's, they, Paul says, restore him gently. And keep reading. But watch yourself or you also may be tempted. Now, there's two ways you could be tempted. One is by the same sin. And you say, well, why is that? Because when you're helping somebody who's been caught in a sin and you're helping them get out of that and, and to get back on the road, you, a lot of times you start concentrating on the sin. And listen, whatever you concentrate on, you conform to. This is why, listen, when you're helping somebody out of a sin, the main thing is not to get them to focus on overcoming the sin. Because then they're focusing on the sin. No, you get them to focus on Jesus Christ. Focus on because whatever you concentrate on, you conform to. So you don't just keep looking at the sin, the sin, the sin, the sin, the sin. No, you look at Jesus and you conform to him. Now, you might, there are some things you might have to talk about the sin, but the focus is not the sin. It's being a disciple of Jesus and being transformed into his light. That's the focus. So he says, watch yourself because you be, could be tempted, first of all, by the sin. Here's the second way you could be tempted. You could be tempted to think that you are somebody now because you didn't do the sin. They did. So have you ever noticed... When we compare ourselves to other people, we usually compare ourselves to people who are tempted by sins we're not tempted by. Because then you feel, <coughs> right? Because there's some sins I'm just not tempted by. So I look, look how good I am. I'm not even tempted by that. And God's going, what about, 
So you could be tempted to think that you're better than somebody. So he says, watch yourself. Restore them. Default setting. We're going to restore somebody caught in a sin. That's what we, that's who we are. Man, if we as the body of Christ can't be about redemption, who can? So if we're going to be full of and led by the Spirit, we're going to be about redemption and seeing people transformed to be like Jesus. But we're going to be careful that we're not tempted. And then look at verse 2. Carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. What a bizarre phrase, the law of Christ. I think it just means Jesus teaching and his example to love God and to love neighbor. Remember in, in chapter 5, he, it said, Paul had said this, the entire law, the entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. So when we walk in the spirit, in line with the spirit, in step with the spirit, we're going to carry each other's burdens. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. How do you think that might look like in real life? I don't, we, we just had that video by the, from the 40th when with Robin and, and Aisha and Shanette. What, what was that like, do you think, for them when, when people at New Life helped carry the burden? And, you know, they mentioned groceries. Life-giving, huh? When, when people came around them and said, let me help carry the load. What, what is a bag of groceries like for a single mom who's got kids? I mean, listen, I, I was raising, listen, we, were, we raised four sons. There were lots of times we, we had a dual career, dual income, and it was a blessing to me if somebody dropped off some chicken. Okay, I mean, something simple and practical like that. I'm going to drop off some groceries. I'm going to help carry the load. What, 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 would it, what does it look like for somebody who's grieving? And, and somebody in the body of Christ just comes along and says, I'm just going to be with you. Someone who's experiencing sorrow and, and you just say, I'm just going to listen to you. What, what, about, what, what do you think it would be to carry one another's burdens when, when, when there's racial issues swirling in the world and, and we in the body of Christ, we, we sit down and we break bread together and we listen and we don't defend or accuse and we just love on each other and we carry each other's burdens. <laughs> See, whatever it is in a given situation, the whole idea of carrying each other's burdens means that some of the weight is going to fall on you. That's what it means to carry a burden. It, it means you're going to put yourself under their weight and help them carry it, which means it's going to cost you something. But here's what Paul said. When you do that, you do what? You fulfill the law of Christ. And you know what you're doing? You're walking in line with the Spirit. So who do you think? I, I know we're supposed to do the altar call at the end. <laughs> That's how these things are supposed to work. But I don't know. I just think maybe in this moment, the Holy Spirit is speaking to people here about somebody that you could help bear their burdens. Who is it? You know, let's just pray. Let's just pray right now. Lord, Holy Spirit, would you just speak to every one of us here? Who is it in our life that we need to come alongside and fulfill the law of Christ by 
helping to carry a burden. Maybe in a simple way, a small way, maybe in a big way, I don't know. Holy Spirit, would you just speak right now? Maybe, maybe the Lord gave you somebody's name. Maybe you got a picture in your mind of somebody. But follow up on that. It's part of what it means to walk in line with the Spirit. Let's get to the third snapshot. This will be the last one. Third and final snapshot that, that uh, Paul gives us in this text is we've had the conceited person. We've had the caught in a sin person. We've had the we're going to bear one another's burdens here. Number three, here's the third snapshot. It's the comparing person. Galatians 6, verse 3. If anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Each one should test his own actions. Then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to somebody else. For each one should carry his own load. Now, what is going on here? Because just a minute ago, he said, bear one another's burdens. And now he's saying, carry your own load. Now, actually, in, in Greek, those are two different words. And, and the load, the burdens, refers to something big and heavy, really big and heavy. But the load is more like, be like a, a backpack. So, so everybody, God's given everybody a little backpack, something that you're going to carry, right? And so he says, carry your own load. So what, what is going on here? Bear one another's burdens, but carry your own load. Um, I think it, the secret is this phrase, without comparing himself to somebody else. Because what, listen, what is happening when we compare ourselves to other people? Answer, we're trying to justify ourselves, right? We're trying to find value and worth in the fact that we are in some minute way better than somebody else. We're smarter than them or prettier than them or stronger than them or more athletic or we got more money or more power at work or our kids are doing better. Our kids can bench more than their kids can bench. And my daddy can beat up your daddy. I mean, like, what, what are we doing? We're trying to justify ourselves. And if you do that, there's only two possible results. It's either arrogance because you think you're better than them, or it's going to be shame because you know you're not. This is why Paul says, we don't have time to turn there, but in 2 Corinthians 10, he says, people who measure themselves by themselves are not wise. Here's the deal. Here's the problem with trying to compare yourself to other people. You don't know their whole story. You don't. You might think I'm further down the road than they are, but you don't know where they started from. Maybe they started way further back than you are and have gone way further than you have. Maybe you had, a, maybe you had more giftings. Maybe they had less giftings when they were born. Maybe they had a worse upbringing than you. I mean, give me long enough. I will find somebody who had a worse go of it than you did but went further than you did. They probably go to church here. Listen, some of us were born on third base and we thought we hit a triple. <laughs> Look at me, I'm on third base. Man, you the dude, you just was born there. This is why we're not told we're we're told not to compare ourselves. As Oswald Chambers once said, there is always one fact more in each man's case about which you know nothing. 
There's always more to the story that you don't know. You don't know. And even if you did know everything about their story, it's not wise to search for your identity, your value, your worth, and how well you match up and compare with other people because there will never be an end to it. It will never be enough, and you will always be trying to find a verdict on your value. But listen, if you're walking in step with the Spirit, if you're walking in line with the Spirit, you don't get the verdict uh, on your value from other people. You know why? Because the verdict is already in. Oh, yeah. That's what the gospel says. The gospel says the judge has already pounded the gavel and said, not guilty, Tim Parrish. It's already been done. The verdict has already come in. I'm already accepted. I'm already adopted. I'm already valuable. I'm already wanted. I'm already chosen. So you know what that means? That means I'm free. I'm free to really love you because I don't have to compete with you. I don't have to be better than you. I don't have to be worse than you because I don't have to get anything from you. Because I already have it. Because of the gospel. Because I'm walking in line with the Spirit. I get all of my acceptance, all of my love, all of my value from Him. And so you know now what we can do? And you've heard me say this a few times during the series in Galatians. We can walk around like nobody owes us anything. Let me tell you something. When you can really walk in that, you're free. Man, as long as you're trying to get approval from people and get your value from people and your worth from them, you will always, you will never be able to really love them. And you'll think everybody owes you stuff and you'll con- and you'll be frustrated because they ain't going to give it to you. People, people, not gonna, you know, people don't do things to you. They do things for themselves most of the time. And when, you're, when you get all of your identity, all your worth, all your significance, all your value from who God says you are, then, man, I, I can walk around like nobody owes me anything, and I'm free to love. And guess what I can do? I can carry your burden. I can help you carry your burden, and I'll fulfill the law of Christ. And then I'll be done walking in line with the Spirit.